It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. You knew I was busy today. You knew I would be doing something else basically until late afternoon, early evening. You knew I wouldn't have time to prepare as much for the show. You put the whole show together without me and gave me a load of notes and sent it to me without even being asked. Well, Luke, I know that you value your tea times. I, I don't use any notes, so the joke's on you. <laughs> <laughs> right, let's start the bloody show. Lap theme. Welcome to the Luke and Pete show. Only the fifth podcast Luke Moore has been on today. You all right, mate? I'm good, thanks. I've had a glass of wine. Oh, yeah, hello. Lambrini girls are on the town. There we go. Just want to have fun, mate. <laughs> just want to have fun. You stink of booze. Yeah. You smell like problems and dad. That's just my clothes. <laughs> yeah, man, what's been going on this week? Uh, quite a bit, actually. I'll tell well, you shall, we, shall we jump into the Let's It's Been feature? Well, can I just also, before we do that, though, okay. because um, I want to let the listeners in on this, mm. You, we, we've mentioned it briefly in the past. Yes. You've been in a band uh, in the past called One-Eyed Willie. One-Eyed Willie. Ska-punk band. You were on guitar. Le- the, the East Midlands' finest ska-punk outfit. Yeah, which, uh, is it fair to say, underachieved commercially? Six gigs. Yeah, okay. Uh, which got less and less popular. We did every gig used to give a prize away for the best dancer. Okay. Which was usually like a massive uh, kind of telly that we found in the street or a PlayStation we found in the street. The scene is so typically 90s. <laughs> um, oh, but- that's, that's something we did as well. We gave out a, um, like a ready meal, like a ready roast. Okay. And uh, at, at a, an all day that Kasabian played at. So Kasabian, well, we supported Kasabian effectively on an all day in Leicester, the shed, and uh, a lot of kids uh, in the middle of the show just started eating the uh, raw meat. Oh, dear. So it's probably I'll, best uh, that we're not together. I'll again. let you be a judge on that one. I'll tell you, we were supported by a little-known Leicester band called Kasabian. <laughs> um, but I, was, I wasn't bringing that up for no reason. I was bringing it up because mm. a lot has been made of me singing that song on the show a few weeks ago, but you said you should have been the singer in One-Eyed Willie, but yeah. the bass guitar player and the other guitar player wouldn't let you. No, no, they would, they wouldn't, they would, they would happily have let me. Oh, okay. I just didn't feel I wasn't a confident performer back then. I'm still not a confident performer back now, but you know, it's hard to say. It's hard to say, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I've had a long day too. Um, so, uh, should we get on with uh, what's been going on this week? Yeah, why not? It's been 
So, so quiet. It's been... Too loud. <laughs> Every week. <laughs> it's just right. I, like, really, I think we're the only show I know of where the constant mistakes in terms of volume are an actual trope now. I think so, yes. I think people listen to the, to the jingle, it's been, and in their own mind they go, too quiet. I've been in the studio about 50,000 times and recorded shows. I don't know what's wrong with me. No. I'll just... tell you for why. Is I, I dip the bed down to talk over it. Yeah, okay. And I leave yeah. the fader at the halfway position. Can I also venture that, and I don't take this the wrong way, because we're obviously on air, you are a bit slapdash sometimes. <sighs> yeah, but I think... You're not I a think... belt on braces, man, are you? I think... <laughs> no. I think I am... Uh, I think it adds to my charm. I, no, I totally agree with that. Totally, um, but it, it does. It does. It does mean these types of things do happen. Oh, Luke, if you're it's you and Lord Ramble, to a dizzying degree. Yeah, but I like to think it. Um, it treats you. It teaches you a lot of lessons uh, that you're going to take on when um, parenthood comes a knocking. Yeah, so it's not going to come knocking for a while. <laughs> What's been going on then? Give me the it's been again. I want it again. All right. It's been nice volume, great yeah, volume, that's guys. That time. Yeah. So, so last week we had just to give people it's been a one long week since um, we lasted episode twelve on mm. episode thirteen. Now, of course, a baker's dozen. Exactly. Um, well, well, it's it's a good luck, bad luck special. So we're going to be talking yeah. about um, bits of good luck, possibly some bad luck as well. Yeah, and, and last week we talked about Deep Blue Sea, 1999's most controversial movie to start LL Cool J, I think. Um, <laughs> just a bit about dragons. Game of Thrones is getting so good now. I wish I could talk about Game Do you know what I wish, right? I do a lot of podcasts, do a couple of football ones, mm. one or two other ones as well, you know, and I, I very much am across podcasting. I wish I did a Game of Thrones podcast. What, th- a Thrones cast, if yeah, you will? Yeah, I wish I did. Well, if- <laughs> There was like about, about ten first season because everyone knew this was going to be a massive deal. Apart from, is it George R. 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 Martin? What's his name? His, his name is if, just. It's is a genuine question, isn't it? Because I know you haven't read the books. Right. His name is George R. 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 Martin. Yeah, and all of those R's stand for Runkles. Runkles, 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 Runkles Martin. Yeah, it just goes on like that. His father was quite the card. He was. He once said basically that his his new. Uh, fan- fantasy vehicle, book vehicle, uh, would not be very good for uh, television adaptation. How wrong he was! He was. He. Um, he's. Anyway, listen. It's gone beyond the books now. I've read mm. all the books. This is why I'd be great as, on a Game of Thrones podcast, right? Because right? you've read the books. I've read all the books. Yeah, but you, I've watched every episode. But sometimes it deviates, so you. It's kind of hard True. to kind of keep track. I suppose. Well, that's isn't where it? point three comes in. Right. Exceptional broadcaster. Right, I thought you were going to say <laughs> I am a dragon. <laughs> Anyway, we talked a bit about dragons last week, and we also talked about North Sentinel Island. Yes. I'm delighted to say, even though this is a good luck, bad luck special, um, fueled essentially by listener emails, because again, we've been inundated, and we're very proud to, to say that. We've got to pile through them. No emails on any of that stuff. So, nothing. <laughs> didn't, didn't charm with the audience at all. No. So, uh, good. good. You're always learning. Always learning. <laughs> It's always something that I mention, I seem to recall, because I come up with some nonsense that I've badly researched and people just want to clarify. Oh, the cellophopod or whatever it's called, the, yeah. the, the ant fungus. Yeah. I want to tell you about it, because, Peter, you don't know enough about it, you idiot. It happens to me a lot as well. Yeah. But one thing that has charmed the listeners is awkward family dinner conversation. Yes. I think we should probably t- take care of next week, because we'll get a few more in by then. Okie dokie. Okay, I cool. mean, there are some horrific stories coming already, and I would like to deal with them, but let, let's deal with them next week. So yeah. this week will be the good luck slash uh, bad luck special. Bud luck. Bud luck. Bud Dwyer. Bud, kill Bud himself. Luck, Bud luck. Gad luck special. What, <laughs> have, you, what have you got for it? Uh, it's been there. Who's been in touch first? Well, uh, Fergus Weir has got in touch uh, from Glasgow and I can't, uh, he might be a boy might be a grown-up. I don't know. Very Scottish name. I'd like to think with a name like Fer- the only Fergus I can think of mm. actually he's not even a Fergus. I was going to say the only Fergus I can think of 
who's for an adult. Fergal Sharky. Oh, it's Fergal. Yeah, <sighs> Fergal. And I was going to say Fergal O'Brien, snooker player, but he's Fergal as well. Can't Where are all the Ferguses gone? Long time ago. Is Gus short for Fergus? Uh, Gustavo? Oh, oh Gustav. no, it depends where you are in the world. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Augustus, maybe. Augustus. There we go. Augustus Globe from what? that uh, book. Willie, I know the guy. Don't say Willie. Who played uh, the young Willie Wonka in the most recent Johnny Depp adaptation of, of China Chocolate Factory. How about uh-huh. that? He's a folk singer now called Blair Dunlop. Good friend of mine. Bloody, my, bloody good rep. My mate uh, Mark was an extra on the set of that film okay. with uh, Johnny Depp, and he was one side of the chocolate. River, and he played like a, um, I think kind of like a Belgian or Dutch one. No, it wasn't Umpalumpa. It was like a townsfolk. Okay, remember? right. And uh, his 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 uh, line that got cut was, uh, "Ooh, that's a lot of chocolate." Right, that was his line. That. I don't know, classic. Important. But anyway, he was on one side of the Chocolate River, and uh, basically, it was an awkward bit of the filming where you know they had reset cameras or reset lighting, and uh, and Johnny Depp was stood lo- alone with um, Mark, and Mark just turned to Johnny and went. Are uh, you in London for long? Yeah. And he just went, like, g- gave the kind of um, hand signal for give me a second, yeah. and then just shouted, Tim! Did he, he? Didn't, he didn't want to talk to him. Wow, don't let Tim! the talk to me. Keep him yeah. away from me. <laughs> Terrible, huh? Very much like you at a, um, a Football Ramble live event. <laughs> Get um, out of my face. One of the things, that, just to go back, because it just occurred to me, on, on the shortening of names thing, mm. One of the, this blew my mind when I first found this out, and I wonder if you've ever considered this. The name Nathan can be short for Jonathan. And Nathaniel. Yeah, but but also Jonathan. Can it? Because John is the shortening. I'm not having that. Nathan as well. John Nathan. If you like. People are taking liberties. That's the thing with names, though. People take liberties, especially in 2017. You call them bloody Daenerys Targaryen if you want to. Yeah. Daenerys Targaryen Donaldson. That that sounded a bit Tory, that. Sounded a bit BMP, that. What do you mean? All names these days. (laughs) (laughs) These dragons coming over here, burning our brave boys. I don't mean to equate the Tories with the BMP, by the way. I should make that absolutely clear. I'm happy to do so. Um, Fergus Weir. Fergus Weir in Glasgow. He's basically um, sent in a YouTube channel we should really have been across, to be honest. Uh, it's a fella who basically just sets up, like, marble runs in his house, uh, on his beach. I don't think this is on private beach, but, I mean, the way he's using it, it may as well be. Yeah. Um, I don't really know where he's from, but basically this is what he sounds like. Dutch, yeah? Yeah, I think so. Dutch, yeah? Yeah, sounds like to me. He's basically telling everyone that he's got um, a load of subs and he wants more subscribers so he can get a verification badge. Can I explain? That, that, by the way, that's not Pete translating Dutch there. That's written as a subtitle on the channel. No, I'm translating it. <laughs> In real time. Can I, can I just make this clear for anyone listening who's under the age of 30 mm. what marble racing actually is? Yeah. Um, I mean, did you ever do it? I don't yeah, remember recall doing it. Well, so you set up a little run and you should be able to get, I guess, like a board game-esque type kit where right. you, would, you would set up a little sort almost like a, a course going right. downhill and you would each have a coloured marble and you would roll it and ah. yours could win and, and the great thing about it is as you get a little bit older you can have a little sportsman's bet on it as well which, which marble finishes first and everything <laughs> Did you know what I like about this channel it really is no more complicated than that what I like about this channel is it's innocent it is innocent I mean there's a kid there I presume it's his kid the internet has ruined the world in many ways. This show, for instance. <laughs> but this is great. You can. There's nothing to not like about it. No. So his name is uh, Jelly. 
J-E-L-L-E. Yele, I think. Yele. Yeah. Uh, it's basically just a lot of marble runs that him and his um, colleagues and friends have sort of set up. And it is very innocent, isn't it? It's just like marbles going down tubes through wooden pipes and stuff like that. It's mm. very therapeutic. If you just want to just relax, smoke a doob if you fancy. Smoke. Uh, have a smoke. Smoke. <laughs> have a smoke. And, uh, and uh, yeah, watch, watch uh, Yele's uh, marble runs. And Yele, the owner of the channel, um, surprisingly, those of you who are listening who are very, or at least partly familiar with our oeuvre, mm. will know there's a sort of trope that goes along that everyone looks like Pete. Well, surprisingly, <laughs> Yele looks a bit like Pete. Any man who can't grow a beard properly yeah. can only grow like a little dirty D'Artagnan tash uh, and, and, and sort of soul patch uh, configuration kind of looks a bit like me. And to be honest, a lot of the time, I think people of that uh, vintage think they look a bit like Johnny Depp, so they go for my look effectively. Yeah, well, this is, a, this is the thing, isn't it? The three things you need to look like, Pete. One, mm. quite a sort of profound, sort of pronounced jawline, because yeah. you're quite skinny. Yeah. Two, um, a um, receding hairline. And three, mm. um, Apache beard, right? I mean, it's not receding. It's, I've just got a widow's peak. I mean, yeah. looking at all photographs, I'll grant you it has receded somewhat. <laughs> yeah. None of us are getting more hair, mate. I am down south. Do you remember once when we were doing something in there, there was a guy, like a very, very handsome and well-dressed bearded Scandinavian guy, and you said, he looks like what you think you look like. Right? <laughs> That's you and, and Johnny Depp. Yeah, but what so I would say, like what I would say is that I have had on more than one occasion, more than once, somebody saying I look a bit like him, and that's not me. I, I it's usually T bad from Prison Break, granted, yeah, yeah. but I will occasionally. Every we still listen to Yelling Yelling. They are going to win the race. Oh, Rangers lose the battle but win the war. So I think that I think that's Yelling's friend who's got like a, an American right lilt. Your 2017 Marble Olympics champions. I'll be honest, I forgot we were doing marbles. <laughs> But go and check him out. Fergus Weir has uh, come up uh, trumps of that one. A marble racing channel. He says the commentary is like Bob Ross or Steve 1989 uh, commentating on horses. Who's Steve 1989? Don't know. Not a clue. No, uh, top like, top uh, late night entertainment oh, for the drunken. He says Bob Ross is the American artist. I know. Bo- yeah, yeah, Bob Ross. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah okay. Um, he died. He died, uh, he really, he died he quite died young, fairly, didn't he? Oh, yeah. Did he not die fairly recently? No, I think it was about late 90s, I think, or mid-90s. Okay, okay right. Um, but, you, but, yeah, that's, that's a very innocent bit of fun. You can, you can and have... I think his wife died in the same year, which is very sad. It's... They both died in the same year. That is sad. I don't like to see that. No, I, I don't Johnny either. Cash and... Um, Indeed. That was I mean, good lady. Particularly dramatic, mm. wasn't it? And especially the, um, the uh, video for, for, for um, Hurt. Hurt. Yeah. Um, I was going to say that it's rare you can spend an hour on the internet watching something and not want to be ashamed of it. <laughs> uh, this, this, is, um, this is one of those channels, so do check it out. Yeah. Have a look. Um, do, you want my, do you want my It's Been? Uh, yeah, all right then. Do you, you want another, do you want another stab? All right. It's Been! Is it as wholesome as marble racing? It is, actually. Oh! And I think you know what I'm going to say if I remind you what I was doing on Sunday. Oh, what were you doing on Sunday? Well, on I was Sunday, at work. On Sunday, my, making mad paper by tra- stacking sky high, stacking sky high pips. Um, my, um, as you, as I've, I've probably mentioned on the show before, my wife is a geologist by trade. <laughs> what, what a sentence! I don't think I've ever heard you say that before in my life. Well, you don't my wife me. is a geologist by right. trade. Stick around, you might learn something, right? <laughs> I, I haven't. <laughs> I haven't after after being married to her for a year. Um, but anyway, she's interested in the geology of, of, of the area of where we live, and um, she signed us up to. Um, I live fairly near Streatham, which is an area of South London, right? And um, there's a, uh, a group there called Friends of Streatham Common, which are generally they're sort of like good, wholehearted, like people yeah. who try and protect the local area mm. from development and all that sort of stuff. Anyway, they do like a, a series of local talks. 
And I'll be honest, I was, I was, I wouldn't say I was dragged along, but it was definitely more her thing than mine. Yeah. Uh, on Sunday morning, um, uh, to a talk at Streatham Common, which is the big park in in, in Streatham, which again, which is in South London, um, about about the area. And I thought to myself, there can't be much to this. I mean, it's a massive field in the middle of in, in the middle of like a developed housing mm. area, essentially, with a main road at the bottom of it. But I'll be honest, it was with a, with a, with a guy, um, a doctor. I think his name was Doctor Ian Bolton. I think it was fascinating. Mm. It was actually fascinating, right? And he was talking all about um, how they drew, drew boreholes in the, in the area and what the rock underneath it is made of, of course, and stuff, and all this other stuff. But the thing that was really fascinating to me was he was saying one of the things that is affecting the London underground is that because there are far fewer trees than there used to be, hmm. um, and because of, essentially, there, are, there used to be an absolute ton of breweries in London, right? Right. A load of them have closed down because it's not viable, and, and because there's because of the development, there's not as many trees. The water table is rising quite quickly. Right. I don't know if it's unprecedentedly quick, but quite quick. So as a result, large parts of the Northern Line and the Bakerloo Line are now below the water table. Oh, is that right? And, and the stretch of tube stations between Clapham Common, which is fairly near there, and maybe a bit further south, um, they're pumping 20,000 litres of water a day out of those tube stations. Fantastic. How amazing is that? Well, what I would say is if you've ever been through, I don't know, King's Cross on the Northern Line or any, any of the Northern Line stations, there's usually a leaky um, right. ceiling. But that's why. Always a leaky. Uh, there's always a bucket down. That's why. And, it, and you don't like to see that, do you? No, you think, really. you think, will the, um, will the plate metal be able to withstand this kind of force? Yeah. It's not right. Have you, did, you, did you then crunch the numbers and do the equation? <laughs> oh, but this isn't right, guys. Come um, on, sort the, it out. The upshot of this talk is, is meant that I've signed up to do a small mammal survey in spring um, where with a mammalian ecology expert where I go and tag and... Uh, it's, it's very Alan Partridge. I go and observe and tag voles and shrews. <laughs> How are you going to find a vole or a shrew? Well, I'm with the experts, mate. I could go for three weeks and not see either. I'm just roommate. I'm just roommate. <laughs> but by the way, just to finish this up, on the way back from, um, from, from this talk, I popped into the base. Bakery, obviously. Mm. Um, get, get yourself a vol bap. <laughs> a bakery near me does amazing um, shrew toasties. That no, <laughs> does amazing apple cake. I thought I'd get myself a slice of apple cake. Um, and, and typical more in the bakery with his fat fingers, I knocked the tip jar onto the floor, which smashed all over the floor, which meant I then had to pick up every single coin off the floor for them because I felt so bad. And glass as well. And tip them a fiver to get a new tip jar. <laughs> In front of everyone. So, so that's not even giving them more money. You're literally just trying to get a big jar for them, aren't you? Yeah. So I basically bought a, a slice of cake for about two quid. Wasted their time. And that cost me seven quid. <laughs> but there we go. It wasn't a vintage Sunday. How did you manage to tip the tip jar? How big was the tip jar? I wasn't tipping the tip jar. Oh. I, w- I was basically grabbing the bag. From, You're from so the... much like um, Chandler out of Friends. If, if, I, if I'm going to be honest with you, Pete... I don't know to sound childish. It was partly the woman working this fault. What, but I took it on the chin. Did she tap it going, come on, get no, involved, yeah. Moa? You're always in here. You're always in here. <laughs> she, I, think fat g- fingers. I think I'm giving you enough business, thank you very much. No, she <laughs> passed the cake over, I grabbed it, and it knocked the tip jar on the floor and smashed. Right, OK. Front, and it was very busy. It was like 15 people. Maybe that bakery was under the water table and some water had got on the counter. Well, if it was under the water table, the, water, the chip jar would have splashed into the water, been fine, yeah. I'd have emptied the water out and put it back on the counter. Good point. So... Yeah. What are we saying? Pump all the water Raise from the, the northern water table. Raise the water table. Put the water, water from the northern line and yeah. pump all the water into the, uh, into the bakery. Every bakery. Yeah. yeah. I like my cake moist, thank you. Uh, right, we'll be back after this. Yeah. 
How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Okay, Luke, don't gunge me, mate. Pipe down, Pete. I told you never to argue with the customers. Yeah, we're back, baby. It's Luke and Pete Shaw. Do what we just said in that ad break, if indeed there were any ads. We don't know right now. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows if we've made any mad paper ourselves? We, we're always making paper. Mm. Uh, so, um, we've had so many emails, so this this um, week and next week is probably going to be uh, pretty email heavy, because you guys have done us not only a solid, but a super solid, which yeah. is presumably some kind of chemist's uh, term for some kind of thing. Um, <laughs> lots of people coming back with more information about the uh, cordycep um, ant fungus. It was indeed the uh, basis for the uh, video game The Last of Us. Have you play- you wanted to play that, didn't you? You were talking about it a little while ago, but you never you never indulged. Uh, you never dipped at all, Luke. I think you said, "I oh, fancy that." I've got to check in history of video games. Mm. Um, what was the last video game you played? I would actually, like to know, apart from Football Manager, um, which is what I think everyone gets involved with that every year. Well, so fairly recently, I got a a hooky um, Super Nintendo yes. off the internet. 
it and yeah. I completed Super Mario World which is one of the best games ever it is but I mean I, I do find those the, the kind of um, the love for the retro game you go back and you I bought a, when I was last in Japan I bought a game, um, a game Boy and I was playing it I was like this is very fiddly why isn't there a backlight and you start demanding you things mean, yeah. that you you know you enjoy with but modern titles with me it was sort of the opposite because I used to play Super Mario World on my Super Nintendo on a tiny little portable TV mm. and I've got like a 49 inch TV in my living room now and, and so it was amazing playing it on that mm. and I really enjoyed it I just think the playability I know I sound like an old dick who doesn't know what he's talking about which is mostly true the, the playability of those games are so good because they have to be they can't they couldn't have they can't release an update or or, mm. or rely on the graphics necessarily but anyway that's probably that and then um, before that um, probably Red Dead Redemption I was quite Red into. Dead Redemption that's, that was quite good that's brilliant, a, you yeah. know Rockstar know how to do their uh, you know occasionally slightly sexist uh, video games but yeah I, I, you know what I really liked about it? there was a I'm pretty sure I'm right in saying you'll know better than me there was a feature where you could make it turn it into a zombie game uh, yes, which I do is, recall Which is amazing. That, yeah. It was too, so such fun. There's too much zombie stuff around. But there was at the time, because I used to play mm. Left 4 Dead as well, which is really good. Yeah, that's, that's very that's, zombie, that's zombie the last, heavy. That's the last you were in a zombie I, film? I was, yeah. You were in, like, two titles, I think. I'm in two, yeah. Two um, yeah. Andy Edwards, our good friend Andy Edwards, whose yeah. actual film, Ibiza Undead, has just come out on um, Sky, so watch that yeah. if you want. The thing I didn't get about that is, Andy makes like certain types of movies, they're essentially B-movies, mm. Um why don't the reviewers sort of judge them on that basis? Because Ibiza and Dead got like one star. I thought that was really poor. It's yeah, a but I mean, like, yeah, uh, well, uh, well, exactly. It's a one million dollar like B movie. It's not yeah. a. It's a, it's a it's a large amount for an indie film, but it's still a B movie. You kind of yeah. got to go in. Pretty, yeah, but thing is, all of like the horror uh, papers rated it really well. Or rated okay, it right. fairly, fairly competitively anyway. Okay, right, so, cool. I mean, you know. Because I like, um, I, I really like those Bruce Campbell movies, you know, mm. like um, Evil Dead and all that yeah. stuff. And, they, and they're like. I mean, I know they're cult classics and stuff now, but I'm pretty sure back in the day, people were probably panning those, saying they're really sort of cheap. Oh, yeah, huge. But that's the point, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Well, look, by the way, speaking of games, that Evil Dead uh, iPhone game is amazing. The Evil Dead? It's an Evil Dead um, Army of Darkness, which is right. the third in the franchise, which is brilliant. Um, it's an iPhone game. It's fantastic. You'd love I wonder it. who made it. I bet it was um, Game Loft or it's, something. It's properly licensed. Mm. It's cool. It's <laughs> it's pricey. Properly licensed. Oh, yeah. properly licensed, guys. Do you mind if I license this? Yeah. <laughs> You want? <laughs> do, you, do you want some money for it? Yeah. Just get out of my house. Yeah, a pint. Um, well, let's do emails. Let's, let's do, emails. do emails. Do you want to uh, kick off with the first one? Or? Oh, yeah, I can go first if you All want. Right, cool. yeah. um, what about... OK, this one's from Curtis in Southampton. And let it be said that I am from Portsmouth, but I don't have any problem with our Southampton cousins. Mm. Um, Curtis says, Hello, chaps. After hearing about poor old Ramon's luck with boats, yes. which was a few weeks ago about the guy who was in two shipwrecks or two sinkings. Mm. One of which was the Titanic. Indeed. It reminded me of the even unluckier Violet Jessup, who worked as a stewardess for the White Star Line. In 1911, she was aboard the RMS Olympic, which collided with a British warship, HMS Hawk. Luckily, there were no fatalities, and both ships were able to limp back to port. But in 1912, she was aboard the Titanic on its maiden voyage. Everyone knows how that went, but she was able to survive while saving a baby in the process. Violet Jessup, you bib. I know. Then during the First World War, just a few years later, she worked as a stewardess for British Red Cross and was on the HMS Britannic that was used as a hospital <laughs> ship. The ship blew up, either due to an accident or by a German U-boat and promptly sank. Violet narrowly escaped by being sucked into the ship's propellers as the ships went... Oh, no, she, sorry, she narrowly escaped being sucked into the ship's right, propellers. Right, okay. uh, that, that is not a tactic to escape a ship <laughs> Do not um, swim towards the propellers. Um, yeah, she survived, um, albeit with a bad uh, head injury. Despite being Bloody so hell. unfortunate with a lack of, uh, lack of vessels, um, luck with vessels, she continued to work the White Star Line without further incident and lived a long and happy life and died in 1971. I mean, you say a long, long and happy life dying yeah. at the age of 83. Very I mean, much, Very much land-based. <laughs> 
<laughs> but apart from the, the constant nightmares, <laughs> they're yeah, horrible. Apparently, she wasn't even land based because he said she would continue to work for the White Star Line. I know. Why would you get back on a boat? Ch- check this out, though. The, ki- the kicker to this story that I was just reading around it. Hmm. Is after she was rescued from Titan- from the Titanic. Um, obviously, they were, they were rescued by another boat. Mm. I think it was car- off the top of my head. It's called the Carpathia, something like that. And um, a woman, she'd rescued this babe. Right, she, yeah. it's literally she's a babe in a babe in arms. And uh, a, a, a random woman came along, snatched the baby from her, right, and just walked off. Didn't say anything, and she never saw the baby again. And and Violet Jessup said. I assumed it was the baby's mother, but to mm. be honest, I was you know I was a bit in shock and I, I didn't really check or and I, I, I never heard of either of them again. So it's either the, the mother's fat was survived, survived as well and mm. found the baby and just grabbed it, or God knows what happened. And what I would say about her, you do like, wonder how many sort of stories like that might have existed. Like you know, we, we half of us don't know where we were born or how we were born. My mum's right, wrong, and half of we we don't know where we were born or how we were born. Yeah, well, I know. I presume I, I can only presume how I was born. We're going to shelve the emails. <laughs> Please continue. When a man loves a woman <laughs> very much, softer touch. I don't want to trivialise... Thanks for that, mate. Yeah. I, I don't want to trivialise Violet's story, but I think it's probably important for me to point out that, I mean, one of these sinkings was literally during a war, which yeah. contextualises it somewhat. If you're at sea during a world war... Chances of being sunk are greatly increased. Accept a sinking and expect it. Well, don't don't accept it, but just understand that it's very, very much more likely. Well, I don't think it was a choice thing. She probably, you know, she was a stewardess for the British Red Cross. I mean... Doing her her bit. Yeah, do you want to to be on on the boats? No. That's how you got everywhere back then, I guess. So, you know, there wasn't that many commercial airlines flying during the war. Is there any reason you can't be on a boat? (laughs) Well... (laughs) You've only proved you can float, mate, so... And if anything, the chance of you getting hit again are very, very low. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Right, hello to... Who's this guy? Graham. Hello, Graham. Uh, More Hiroshima and Nagasaki, I'm afraid. Hi, look at Pete. Uh, Just want to bring your attention to the rather fascinating person that was uh, Joe Kiyomiya. All the talk of Hiroshima and Nagasaki bombings reminded me of this chap. He was captured... 1942 in the Philippines. He survived the uh, Bataan Death March, where upwards of 18,000 people have claimed to have died. Horrific scenes. If you read up on that yeah, uh, on that, on that march, it's just something else. Um, because he was a Navajo soldier, the Japanese wanted him to decode the uh, Navajo codes. But uh, when he didn't, he was tortured. He was uh, sent, on one to the, uh, sent on to the uh, infamous uh, Hell Ships, where again he uh, managed to survive. After that, he was sent to Nagasaki as held as a prisoner of war in a camp, which was close to the centre of the Nagasaki bomb. He was let go after the bombing by a Japanese guy who felt pity for the remaining prisoners after the rest of the soldiers had fled the camp after the bomb was dropped. Uh, so Joe managed to survive not only the Bataan uh, death march, two different torture camps, and then an actual nuclear bomb. Graham, fine story, a horrific story, and uh, yeah, I can't believe he survived that either, to yeah. be honest. So many people died in that march. Does that put in perspective being from Hartlepool? I think so. It's very much the heart... No, I'm going to get into well, that. Joe, but yeah. Joe look, actually, I was reading up about Joe, Joe Key. And he died in 1997, which is actually a very good Quite. long and long life. Um, and, and the point about the, um, the the Navajo codes is, I think I'm right in saying. That yeah, what is what were the well, Navajo codes? Were, I think they were used by the U.S. military to, to, to because it was a very it's a very complex language. Right, certain people could speak it. So okay, they got yeah, Navajo yeah. into to, to, to do it. But the point is, I mean, the Navajo codes were based on the Navajo language, but you couldn't just grab a Navajo and say decode that. It wasn't, yeah. They weren't just literally speaking in Navajo language. Which is presumably why Joe couldn't translate it. It probably sounded ridiculous to him. There were, there and, were, Sorry, go on. I was just saying, the only reason he survived, apparently, the, the Nagasaki atomic bomb is because the concrete walls of his cell were so thick 
um, ah. that he was able to survive. So actually, one of the things informed the other. So he able he was he almost certainly wouldn't have survived mm. if he wasn't kept in such a, a thick concrete cell. And uh, apparently, he was abandoned for three days after the bomb because everyone just legged it. Yeah. Then later on, a Japanese officer came back and, and let him go. Very strange. I'd, um, when the outbreak of the um, Second World War began, or rather J- Japan got involved, there were so few Japanese speakers in England, uh, and it all stemmed, I think it was based in Dulwich, they're called the Dulwich Boys or something, right. and there were these um, young lads. Yeah, there was young lads who uh, got taught Japanese, but there were only two people who were willing to sort of do it or could do it basically. Right. And it was just this. It was, I think it was like a school um, master or and his and his wife and his wife was like worked in like a, a telephone shop or something. I think that was the story. Either way, um, the, the, these two people basically taught these young lads how to speak Japanese, and they were the only ones. And you know, Japan's such a different language to English. Yeah, and they had to learn very complex and quick. Uh, and quite mechanical um, terms or stuff if people you know doing odd and stuff like that because so, they could listen in and, and, and find out what was going on, on on the wires and stuff but they were called the Dulwich Boys I think and it's, interesting. Uh, it's an interesting story I, I wonder if there's a book written about that I'd quite I, like to read that I often wonder how I mean I'm not someone who can speak a second language and I know um, Pete you've had a good old crack at I'm having a crack too. how difficult you're trying to learn Japanese as I understand it how di- how much more difficult does it make it when it's not based on even the same alphabet? Because to me, Spanish, I can do a little bit of Spanish because it's very much read as it's written and, mm. and you can you can really work it out fairly easily with the aid of a dictionary and you know, whatever. But Japanese is a completely different alphabet entirely. So it, to me, it just sounds completely, almost almost impenetrable. Well, it, it it's works on a syllabic nature. nature so like um, you'd have like, you know, instead of writing TSU, you'd have Tsu. Uh, and and so each kind of um, hiragana or kat- katakana, the two writing systems, katakana is used. There's two for, writing systems. There's two writing systems, and then there's the Chinese characters, the, the, the borrowed kanji. So there are two right. There are two alphabets, uh, hiragana and katakana. Hiragana is used for the Japanese language. Katakana is used for uh, borrowed words. So like computer would be written in that. Um, huh. the, the word computer uh, or uh, engineer, engineer. Um, but they have their own words for engineer as well, which I think is uh, kogaku, kogaku. Either way, it doesn't matter. But it, so they've got two two um, two alphabets there, but they're syllabic, so they're like three letters or two letters long. And then on top of that is the kanji, which is the Chinese characters. So uh, they're, they're the really complex ones that you're seeing, like you know the Chinese takeaway and stuff. Like that are just mad. There's like so many of them. But the, but the hiragana and katakana, the ones that I know, but they're really easy. They're they're, they're so much easier than the, than the kanji. But, but the short answer is that it's very very hard. Well, do you want a, do you want a little a little pressy on? Because uh, I was going to get into this a little bit later on because we, we talk about language and stuff, but. I sent this on WhatsApp a few days ago, but I don't know whether you read it. Basically, how to count anything in Japanese. No, I didn't read it. I'll be so, honest, mate. I got you on mute. Sorry. <laughs> so <laughs> you got like the numbers, right? Ichiri san, etc. And you know, count a ten, count a hundred, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But for every. We've got these things called counters in Japanese. I say we as if I know. I don't know. I've got no fucking clue. It's impossible. With counters, um, certain objects have certain counters that you use to count them. So you don't say one dog. You say ipiki, which is something that refers to one small animal. Right. So it would be ipiki and the word for dog. Okay. Okay. So you're actually describing Inu. it as well. A yeah. Bit. Okay. So you're basically saying... But this but, is just for counting. Just for counting. Just okay. for counting things. So instead of just saying uh, itchy, you know, itchy uh, uh, inudes, itchy that's one, one dog, one, yeah. one dog, yeah. you have to say ipiki, uh, you know, inudes. Um, but the problem is there are a million of these different counters. Like, 
so many. So these are the things that we count. And so there's, there's a separate counter for guns, ink sticks, palanquins. I don't know what that is. Rickshaws. Anything a little bit technical. And there's basically a list of things uh, this could mean effectively. Look, I, I, it's probably best if I sort of give you them, to be honest. Sorry. So that's page one. And so there'll, be, so there'll be separate counting numbers up to ten for every different kind of object. Uh, it could be because it's flat and made of cloth. It could be uh, tall and circular. It could be fat and squidgy. And every single different object has a different counting number. Well, I mean, I'll put it in perspective to people listening at home. There's probably about 20 pages here of different counters. Um, and I'll give you an example. Counter for machines and vehicles. Counter for goods or items. Counter for occurrences. Counter for tiny particles. <laughs> counter for long cylindrical things. Counter for drops of liquid. I mean, this is absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> how, how, do, how do native? I mean, counter for nights of a stay. How do how do um, how do even native speakers? Well, that's the thing. Have all this. Well, that's the thing. And and, uh, and counter for one, Listen to this, Pete. Counter for one point eight liter measuring boxes. Is there, there's only one thing in there? It's a rice box, isn't it? It's specific. Is though, it, isn't it? It's so specific. It's yeah. so wheelie specific. And uh, the thing is, a lot of Japanese don't know all of them. They just know some of them in the same way that um, a lot of Japanese don't know all of the kanji. The kanji are the more technical um, uh, characters. I think you need to know 4,000 and you can read around, a newspaper. They just work around or something. Yeah, they, they just sort of, you know, just mend and make do, I guess. But um, fascinating, you know, very, the, the, very the, 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 fascinating and annoying if you're trying to learn it. Well, it's if you can speak Japanese difficult. or um, or Mandarin, which I've also heard is also clearly very, very difficult. And, mm. and if you've got any interesting insight or funny stories, do get in touch. It's hello at lukeandpeetshow.com. I've yeah. got an email here, Peter. I want to just riff off the back. Okay. It's quite interesting. Um, this is from Bryce from uh, Portland, Oregon. We've got listeners in the US, mate. Bloody hell. Over the other side of the pond. Our tra- <laughs> one of our transatlantic cousins, Bryce, very American name, Bryce, if you don't mind me saying, says, um, after years of entertainment, you have provided me uh, on this podcast and my beloved football round. Well, stop, Bryce. Stop right. it. Bryce, um, or... I've finally found some valuable contribution. Mm. I'll be a judge later. <laughs> uh, he says, I have uh, begrudgingly attended the Bymark Willamette Country Music Festival annually for the past four or so years. <laughs> my now in-laws have provided me and my now wife with tickets and camping in the middle of a field. Hmm. in the tiny town of Brownsville, Oregon, which is about an hour and 45 minutes away from where he lives. He says, This year, on the 10th anniversary, we had a joy of seeing Pete's favourite country artist, Dirk Bentley. Oh, Dirk Bentley! In the flesh. Yes. After playing all of his hits with songs about drinking, women, and a dash of God, he graced us with a special surprise. Pete, you're going to love this. Right. His stage opened up and out popped the nose of an airplane with a dishevelled Dirks at the wheel, dressed in a pilot's uniform. He's, and Bryce does include a video which I didn't, I didn't get a copy of sadly but he says um, yeah 45,000 of my closest redneck friends and I enjoyed it um, now that's fair enough because we talked about Dirk Bentley before Pete, but he was very much a passenger in this video and on this song well apparently because his, his wife up. had jilted him his wife to be had jilted him at the altar so well, he's dressed in a pilot's uniform <laughs> well but. maybe he used that inspiration maybe he had such a good time he wants to stay up in the air so he got his pilot's licence well quite and, but shouldn't reason, be drinking the reason I, part of the reason I included this email is not because it wasn't good enough on its own merits, Bryce. Mm. It's absolutely fine. But um, I would, in the old days, I mean, this wouldn't work because we wouldn't have a podcast in the old days. But in the old days, I'll put this out there as a pop quiz question. Right. But now these days, people are just going to be able to just Google, just Google it. it. Yeah, yeah. But I'll ask it to you, Pete. Do you know what Brownsville, Oregon is famous for? Which is relative. <laughs> I'll give you a clue. Is it relative to the Browns? It was a location of a classic movie. Can you name the movie? Brownsville, Oregon. 
Um, I'll give you another clue. In the movie itself, it was called Castle Rock, but it was actually shot in Brownsville, Oregon. Oh, what's Castle Rock now? Mm. No, I'm thinking of Castle Rock in Game yeah, of Thrones. Right. I did that as well. I did that as well. <laughs> um, no, not a bloody clue. Stand by me. Oh, was it? It's where it was filmed. Oh, that's very, very beautiful. Well, it's a very small place, mm. and it's very, very recognisable. Apparently, if you watch the movie and you go there, you can see because it, I don't think I think there's only roughly about a thousand people who live right. there. Don't so, run down the train track. You're no, getting all kinds of trouble. You might find a dead body. Not a spoiler. <laughs> Happens early on. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. There you go. Very Thanks enjoyable. For that yeah. Uh, well, Kyle Chester Marsden, um, can I take you back to the bombings of Nagasaki in Hiroshima very hey. briefly? Well, if we're going to talk about something, people are going to email in, and I feel we're duty bound. Um, this kind of ties in with uh, our aforementioned podcast, uh, The Football Ramble. Uh, Yoshio Hamada uh, used to be on it. He's not anymore. No, I'm joking. Um, he was a 26 year old <laughs> chap living 900 metres away from the, uh, the, the centre of the little boy atomic bomb that was dropped in Hiroshima. His left hand was resting on the windowsill as the bomb detonated, and as a result, he suffered, obviously, horrific burns that led to his fingernails and flesh peeling away from the tips of his fingers, and, you know, because it was kind of hanging out the window. Mm. Um, he ended up losing um, 10 centimetre from each fingertip, and it's after the radiation burns had healed that the truly disgusting but fascinating side effects from being exposed to such radiation started taking place. Peculiar black rod-shaped nails started growing out of the end of Yoshio's fingers. Yeah, I heard Unl- about this. Unlike ordinary nails, these black rods contain blood vessels and would bleed profusely if cut or snapped off. It's awful, that. They caused excruciating pain, according to Yoshio, and he lived with this condition up to his death around uh, 2012. Um, but it will always make my skin crawl. You know what? I was When we went to Johannesburg, as the aforementioned Football Ramble, um, there's a video of us uh, on our YouTube channel, I think, where I'm basically explaining this story to Jim from the Football Ramble, and yeah, he's horrified. Yeah. So that takes me back to, uh, you know, being at Heathrow. If you look, if you look this up online and you, and you read... And look at the photos of of because I think I think I imagine it's got a Japanese name, but it translates to black bleeding fingernail. Yeah. Um, apparently, it's happened to quite a few people. Mm. There's, there's exhibits of it in a in a museum. I mean, it's awful. It's absolutely mm. horrific. And the size of them can actually grow very long because it's very it's almost impossible to cut them because it's so painful, uh, awful. But do you know what that reminded me of? Kuro is black. Just to, is that right? I don't so, know what nail is. That's probably part of the, part of the name then. Um, what what this reminded me of, just to take it back to, to Game of Thrones yet again, is... <laughs> I mean, keep telling us about Nagasaki, you keep on telling us about the dragons. I keep on telling us about to Westeros. <laughs> um, did you read, I think this is about five or six years ago now, um, that outside a pub, mm-hmm. Sean Bean, have you heard this story? No. So outside of the pub... Um, this is the reason this made me think of it is because I guess it's sort of a hand injury. But actually thinking about it now, I think this is I think this is Sean Bean's arm. But anyway, he was outside a pub, and he had a bit of an altercation with a guy over some girl or something. I, mm. I don't particularly know. The I'm going to bloody knock your knock your head off. Yeah, is that Sean Bean? I'm Sean Bean. Yeah, it's good. I want to play for Sheffield United. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I can. <laughs> um, he apparently had this altercation with this guy outside a pub about a girl or something like that, and the guy in question, mm. presumably because he's Sean Bean punched him in the face and stabbed him through the forearm with a pint glass, shard of glass from a pint glass, oh. right? Apparently, according to the news reports at the time, Sean Bean refused hospital treatment, went into, into the pub, got a tea towel, wrapped it round his arm, tied it off and just ordered another drink just carried on. Wow. Would you, is that exactly what you'd want Sean Bean to do, isn't exactly, it? Exactly, that's what I'd want Sharp to do. And then, um, and then one of the... Uh, and then he d- died of blood loss. Then one of the Lannisters came in. <laughs> <laughs> and the story was quite different. <laughs> I will put some money in the tip jar, or <laughs> yeah. I do pay my debts. And then the, 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 fell on the floor. One of the Lannisters came in and, and, and said to Sean Bean, you may well have been stabbed in the arm, sir, <laughs> but now you must bend the knee. 
Yeah, and a lot of knee, a lot of knee bending in this and he refused season. Yeah, but yeah. in many ways, I am a, I am a, a hedge knight of the podcasting world. Am I, Pete? Bending hedge the knee, knight. at any liege lord, lord around, <laughs> lifting that dress for any liege lord, liege lord, liege lord, lifting that dress, lifting that dress Where for the liege lords, from? lifting the dress for the liege lords. There's the episode title. Um, right, let's do we... Mancata. Let's do Mancata for crying out loud. Let's go on with it. Let there be justice for all. You don't understand. Willie was a salesman. Say simply, very simply, with hope. Good morning. Good morning. What what, um, what play is that from? Uh, I think it might have been um, Kinky Boots. <laughs> <laughs> a must see. <laughs> must see. What have you got for Mencart this week? I've, I've got, I've got, I've got something. Uh, again, nominated by uh, one of our fine, fine listeners. I want to say hello to Michael McDonald. Hello, Michael. Pete, how exactly has this been a good luck, bad luck special, by the way? Well, well loads of different reasons. The bad luck being uh, at, the, at the scene of, like, uh, a bombing. Yeah, the, the shipwrecks. The shipwrecks, obviously. Um, going to a country music festival. <laughs> yeah, that's that pretty bad luck. Bad luck. Yeah. Uh, being dragged to a ge- geology um, expert's talk. Getting stabbed in the forearm. Getting stabbed in the no, forearm by a drunkard. Good. That Streatham Common talk was good luck. Well, sounds like bad luck's turning into good luck, isn't it? Yeah, I enjoyed it. Uh, I imagine smashing a tip jar's down there, isn't it? Because of bad luck. Yeah. So, yeah, perfectly. Okay, okay fair enough. Episode I, 13. I stand corrected. A lucky, unlucky special. Uh, well, basically, there was a long old uh, preamble about something else, but I've cut that out. But uh, So, Michael, I hope you don't mind me starting in the middle of the email. Uh, because it kind of starts. All of this reminds me of one of those brutal tortures and executions I've ever read about. Oh, good. Yeah, we've gone from uh, black metal uh, kind of carbon fingers to uh, this. <laughs> carbon this, uh, fingers? Remember that band Metal Fingers in My Body? Who did no. that? Metal Fingers in My Body. No. Who did that? People around, are emailing. Around, around some sort of time, maybe around a similar time, there was a good, a good bunch of, um, of band names, and one of them was I Love You But I've Chosen Darkness. <laughs> I thought it was very, very strong. That sounds like a DFA song. Yeah, it does. Um, so, Balthazar Gerard, the assassin of the Dutch independence leader William I of Orange in 1854. Yeah. So... He got uh, examined by the city magistrates. Upon being interrogated by the magistrates, he reportedly showed neither despair nor contrition, but rather a quiet exultation, stating like David he had slain Goliath of Garth. At his trial, Gerard was uh, sentenced to be brutally, even by the standards of that time, killed. The magistrates decreed that the right hand of Gerard should be burned off with a red-hot iron, that his flesh should be torn from his bones with pincers in six different places, and that he should be quartered and disemboweled alive, his heart torn from his bosom and flung in his face. It's important <laughs> to get the order right of this one, I think, yeah, isn't it? No, right. uh, and then, finally, his head should be taken off as well. Have you taken his heart out already? Yeah. Well, you better hurry up with the other stuff then. <laughs> He's got a maximum of about 30 seconds left. He's got to see it happen. Uh, but Gerard's torture before that happened was very brutal. On the night of his imprisonment, Gerard was hung on a pole and lashed with a whip. After uh, that, his wounds were smeared with honey and a goat was brought to lick the honey off his skin with his rough tongue. He didn't the goat refuse or something? Yeah, it was, wasn't having any of it. Yeah. The goats particularly like honey? The goat's like, leave me out of this. <laughs> <laughs> you sick ass, he didn't know yeah. to me. You told me I'd cut me off. Yeah, I want some honey. <laughs> you didn't tell me about that. Licking off a man's perverse. I'm yeah. not having that. I like the idea of the boss coming in. Which order did you do that in? <sighs> 
def- you know, obviously the right order. <laughs> did you see that? Uh, You're a torturer. You can't even read or write. Did you see, did you see <laughs> that video where that goat had climbed? You know, they're really good at climbing. They don't yeah. give a shit about gravity. Yeah. One of them had climbed a palm tree, but not like a palm tree on a quiet day, a thick-trunked palm tree, a short one. It's just like a like size of a 10-storey house kind of palm tree. And it climbed all the way to the top. Incredible. Uh, if you, and you, you see them on the sides of dams, don't you? Yeah. Uh, Incredible. If I told you this they story, don't give a damn. If I told you the story about the sheep with the cardboard wings... Yes, that okay, was episode yeah. two, I think. Okay, so right, there yeah. we go. Uh, so after the goat refused to uh, get involved short, in the... Fairly in short the shrift there. Well, what do you mean? Yeah, that was episode two, so there you go. Well, I'm always paranoid that I've told stories before, that's what I'm saying. I'm just glad I remembered one, because well, <laughs> it came out of your mouth. Try being the pub with you, mate. <laughs> you, you refuse to drink with me. Yeah. Uh, after uh, the uh, goat wouldn't have any of it uh, and the other torches, he was left to pass the night with his hands and feet bound together like a ball so sleep would be difficult uh, during the fol- following three days he was repeatedly mocked <laughs> after all that mocked oh, that, oh no that, that'd be the worst one for you Dawson. I know you I hate, hate that, that. Yeah. I've got such a, I've got such a uh, fragile ego hey, imagine that you've killed you've killed like a high profile victim right <laughs> and you've been caught and you've been told you're going to be tortured it's medieval times yeah. or whenever it is okay, okay what you got for me I think we're going to mock you. Oh, no, no, no. please don't do That's that. That's how Amber Rudd uh, said that suicide bombers should be threatened with a death penalty. Yeah. What the fuck is wrong with you? Yeah. Uh, or, so, or when someone said in the Parliament recently that um, Jane Austen was one of our finest living authors. Jesus fucking yeah. Christ. Um, so after this half hour, Gerard was... Um, Oh, wait, so he had uh, his hands tied behind his back. Uh, then a weight of 300 metric pounds, 150 kilograms, for you people who don't deal with pounds. Metric. Uh, was uh, attached to each of his big toes for half an hour. After this half hour, Gerard was fitting with shoes made of well-oiled, uncured dog skin. The shoes were uh, two fingers shorter than his feet. In this state, he was put before a fire. When the shoes warmed up, they contracted, crushing the feet inside them to stumps. When the shoes were removed, his half-broiled skin was torn off. After his feet were damaged, his armpits were brown. Yeah, I don't think this is a great listen for people. No. Is it? We, we, I know we, we, we see a boundary and we eat a boundary. <laughs> but I, I, I think, I mean, this is... The, the problem with this, I find, is it's, it's a brutal listen for people. Mm. And, you know, maybe we don't need to make any apology for that. But I spent about half an hour earlier looking up um, worse torture techniques to try and find worse than this. Yes. I, I couldn't. No. I found an article, though... Which apparently listed the twenty-five most brutal torture techniques. Right? Okay. This wasn't on it. Right? I'll tell you what was <laughs> the dogs. The dogs in shoes. I'll tell you what was on it. Guillotine. How is that torture? That's a, the quickest death. A little one on the foot, maybe. No. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> little tiny, little two twin ones on oh, their feet. You get in the guillotine. That sounds fairly quick. We're doing every finger. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think what like a real. It's going to be like an egg slice instead of the uh, actual blade itself. It's very strange. But the article. This is the article. The title of the article is 25 most brutal torture techniques." Right. The, the write up in the guillotine says, "Since decapitation was considered to be an instant and painless event, mm. it was often considered the most humane." method of execution. Well, it's not torturing, is it? No, that's not torture. They're confusing things. I'm against the death penalty, generally. No. I just, I'd, I'd like to pick a hole in that. Well, I mean, we're still at the end of this torture bit. After he's dressed should. in a shirt, soaked in alcohol, then burning bacon fat was poured over him. Sharp nails stuck between the flesh and the nails of his hand and feet. Gerard uh, is said to have remained calm during his torture. Probably just passed out, to be honest. Yeah, apart from the mocking. He yeah, <laughs> he was furious. Yeah. If he could have shaked his fist, he would have. He tweeted about uh, that. But on uh, 4th of July, 1584, Gerard was executed. Finish it off. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, because he said it was like the 19th century. That doesn't make any sense. No, it's yeah, the 16th yeah, it was definitely, century. Yeah, definitely 16th century, wasn't it? I, I, uh, I, I, I thank realized... you, Michael McDonald, you sicko. I think you said 1854 at the start, but it's 1584. Yes, it was. Um, but um, 
one of the things that confused me about this is I, I, I sort of read around this, of course, because I knew you were going to say it mm. this part of the show. I was really confused as to the, um, the, the year that the gun was invented. Right, because okay. Because I, I was thinking to myself, 16th century, I mean, that's early, isn't it? I, was, I, there I, a, was there a gun in this torture? No, but he shot someone. That's why he got the torture. Oh, he could have been a crossbow, couldn't it? A crossbow. Come on. It was on. a gun. It was a gun. What? Yeah, but listen, anyone out there who's in, in touch... Um, I, I suppose they invented cannons way before that, but anyone yeah. get out there, get in touch about the, the history of the invention of the gun. <laughs> yeah, let's take this more... Let's take this more. More violent and more Alan Partridge. <laughs> anyway, that was I mean, particularly bad luck for, for Balthazar Girard. Is that his name? Yes. Yeah, so I guess that does fit in with your Sorry, team, Pete. Sorry, Balthazar. One thing I've learned on Shot this show... Jonathan, I hear. <laughs> one thing I've learned on this uh, show is that you can literally squeeze anything into a theme. You can literally squeeze anything into a shoe. <laughs> if you've got that dog leather. Uh, right. Um, <laughs> By the way, that went unnoticed. Dog leather. Yeah. Dog leather as well. I know, abusing a dog for no uh, good well, reason. Based on their track record, I don't reckon they got that skin humanely either. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, probably guillotined off. Right, mm. um, so, it's probably time for us to love you and leave you, really, unless you've yeah. got something from Encarted. Shall we, shall we wrap this up and uh, move, on to our, uh, move on to our homes? I don't think, we can, I, don't think I can top that. No. I, I would like to apologise to the listeners for, for if that was a particularly difficult listen. But listen, the real world is a brutal place. It really is, and it certainly wasn't either the 19th or 15th, 16th century. And we're not glorifying this stuff, we're no. just telling you about it. Look, I, had a bit of st- I got a bit of stick over that Fox thing last week, didn't I? Well, enough people, you know, slid into our DMs demanding the oh, picture like sickos. About 100 people literally yeah. messaged asking about Disgusting. it. Disgusting. But but some people said I was glorying in it. I wasn't glorying in it. I just It was fascinating. I, I'm not at all in favour of, of the brutal killing of animals or anything like that. Um, I do realise on this show, maybe we've talked a bit about dead animals quite a lot. Well, but that yeah. wasn't our intention. Well, we did have a couple of emails sort of come in. Sort of going, Can you just stop talking about murdering animals? Yeah. We barely spoke about murdering animals. We went back to Nagasaki and, uh, and the dog leather was a low point to the, to this week, I think. Yeah, but humans are animals in a way. I would like to end the show by um, sort of saying that somebody... Um, sweet, somebody either tweeted or said I, I find it hard to um, find where the line is to be quite frank mm. uh, this week and they said that foxes are dogs no wait they are cats they are cat software running on dog hardware I don't understand it because they look like dogs yeah. but they act like cats and they're very timid and they run away and stuff and they're, and they're quite they're not quite as jovial and happy to see you they're, they're actually added, quite they've added a geeky element into it haven't you? yeah I like it I'm yeah. having it yeah, I, 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 I thought that you what a fox would be what happened if a cat had sex with a dog so yeah I make it I make, it makes sense it makes sense <laughs> they are like half and half I do get that yeah, yeah. nice though I mean that's, that's not that's not an evolutionary accurate Description. No, because there's, there was no such thing as software and hardware. Unless, oh. you, unless you kind of get a bit clever with the brain kind of body thing. <laughs> Let's go. It's tired and tired <laughs> boys. We're too tired, boys. <laughs> you want to get in touch with the show? Save us. Just stop sending us Nagasaki and uh, Hiroshima and foxes and stuff. It's listener fueled. Send us <laughs> exactly, nice stuff. Yeah. We'll read out nice stuff. Hello at LutonPeteShow.com. We'll see you next week. Love you. Euros are just around the corner. And if you're excited about the festival of football that's to come, make sure you're listening to On the Continent across this summer's European Championships. 
Join me, Andy Brassel, Dot Nadabio, and a host of other expert European football journalists for everything you need to know about one of the most eagerly anticipated summer tournaments in ages. We'll have shows dedicated to answering your burning questions, a breakdown of the potential winners from all over the continent, and we'll be reacting to the biggest matches as soon as they happen. It's a European football summer, and we've got everything you need. Search on the continent in your podcast app to subscribe and listen now. Frank de Boer speelt the ball. Heel goed naar Dennis Bergkamp. Dennis Bergkamp. Dennis Bergkamp let the ball aan. Dennis Bergkamp. Dennis Bergkamp. Dennis Bergkamp. Dennis Bergkamp. Dennis Bergkamp. Acast powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Jesse Crookshank. Jesse Crookshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl, let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout. Because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl. Yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.